One of the reasons I believe we need to re-examine the original gospel of the kingdom and the original promises of the end times is because our world is moving back to its original condition when these promises were first made. It's almost as though we're, we are coming full circle. So let me, let me say what I mean there. Um, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And Peter uh, preached that this is that which the prophet Joel uh, prophesied. But if you go back to Joel, you see he wasn't really referring to the first coming, but to just prior to the second coming, in other words, the end of the age. So the, the day of Pentecost uh, in Acts 2 is a an initial fulfillment, but it's coming around and it's becoming a worldwide prophecy in our time. It's It's like we... We went far away from the Holy Spirit for a season, but now we're coming back, and God is doing in the end of the age, in a much broader context, a truly global context, um, that day of Pentecost experience. So we're, we're coming back to what it was originally, but only in a much vaster context. Again, um, you had the persecution of Jews and Christians, uh, by Domitian in the time of John, and then uh, through the time of Diocletian, just before uh, uh, the uh, Emperor Constantine. Uh, but now we're having persecution again. It's like the enemy is as disgusted with Christians as he was at the beginning. He is vastly increasing his opposition to the, the gospel of the kingdom. He knows his time is short, is what it says. And, and so here we are. We're, we're reproducing the conditions under which the, uh, the first Christians lived. Things are getting very much darker at the same time as they're getting very much brighter. The darkness and the light are increasing at the same time, just as in the uh, first century. We also see the return of the Jews to Israel. And so the Jews are being located where they were in the first century. Uh, and so again, all things are coming around and we're, we're seeing an, an amazing return to the conditions of the early church. As this is happening, we have to recognize that um, We've, we've learned to redefine things in an unbiblical fashion, and now we have to get back to seeing things in the way that people saw them in the first century. For example, uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to the churches. What does that mean? Uh, uh, that let those who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Well, today we have an idea of well, we have Presbyterian churches, we have Catholic churches, we have Assemblies of God churches, and you, you go to this church and you have a preacher and a pulpit and you have pews and stained glass windows, and that's what we mean by churches. Uh, but that is not what God originally meant. The church was the ecclesia, the called out people of God. 
And so in Ephesus, you had the church at Ephesus. In uh, Thessalonica, you had the church at Thessalonica. You didn't talk about local congregations so much. You were talking about the church being all the Christians, all the people who had heard the gospel of the kingdom and now were pursuing that gospel. Um, and the way they pursued it was by being called out of the world system and, and moving with the king who has a different set of principles, a different set of values. Uh, his thoughts are not our thoughts or the way the world or human culture thinks. And so the called out ones are the ones who are taking time and spending time with Jesus. So there's a process here that I want to recommend um, so that we ourselves can be a part of that process of let those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to the churches. Um, I believe that, that we must not assume that we're always going to have those nice American churches with stained glass windows, pulpits, and pews. Um, it's likely that um, the same thing is going to happen worldwide that happened under Chairman Mao or to ha that happened under uh, Diocletian. Um, the Christians were forced underground. So then we have to get back, back to ba basics. And the basic lifestyle of an overcoming believer in the gospel of the kingdom is that we spend time with the Father and let the Holy Spirit teach us the ways of Jesus. And it may not include a going to church. In other words, going to church is a good thing. And, uh, and we, we must find ways of being with other believers. But we're not to assume that uh, things are going to remain the way they are now in a time of prosperity. This is what I'm trying to say. We have to learn how to buy oil in a very basic kind of Christian way. And, and there, are two, there are two passages I want to quickly read to you. One is from First uh, John chapter 2. Okay, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. And then it goes on, it talks about how the anointing is God's provision for us. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is the bottom line teacher that all of us need. And never should human teachers be a reason to forsake the teaching of the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, there, there needs to be for every believer a time to buy oil. And what, it, what that is, is a time for us to go into that personal prayer closet, get our Bibles open, and start reading. And then pretty soon the Holy Spirit begins to show us things there that we never noticed before. And then he begins to, to speak gently, but sometimes fairly insistently, um, you've always believed this way, or you've always lived this way, but this is the way Jesus wants you to believe, and this is what Jesus wants you to do, and this is what Jesus wants you to think. 
And it, it isn't in a scolding manner, at least this not been my experience. It's more in a kind of an exciting, it's an exciting encounter with the word of God where we begin to change and he writes uh, his laws on our hearts. Then the other verse here is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, where he says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So his, his main uh, way with us is to help us to distinguish, to sort through what most people believe, the way most people live, but now we have this king in our lives. And now we're in a kingdom, we're citizens of a kingdom, and he's calling us out. We are the ecclesia. We're called out from just being a well-adjusted person in a culture. Um, and he's, he's calling us in to make a difference and to be a different and to live and think differently just the way the king does. And that's, that's um, from a constant use. In other words, there's a constancy about this. We're in a lifestyle of daily encounter with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaking to us from the word uh, uh, and, and the word then taking meaning and, and, and making a difference in our lives. Okay. And uh, so out of that then, he's challenging us to be overcomers, overcomers. Uh, not just caving in to what most people think or the way most people live, but overcoming that and, and learning to be, to live differently and to think differently as Jesus does. Many of the, uh, uh, the promises of Revelation 2 and 3 are exclusively given to overcomers. I won't say all of them, but I think most of them are given to overcomers. Somehow I never hear this preached in uh, churches today, but this is what the Holy Spirit wants to preach to each and every one who hears this teaching. Um, there are rewards. There are rewards to letting Jesus truly be our king and speak into our lives in the way that I've just described to you. There are rewards to letting him move into your life and be the high priest and light the candlestick in your heart. Uh, and and so he let, let me list the 11 rewards, okay? 11 rewards. Let's go through them quickly. Chapter 2, verse 7. He gives us the right to eat from the tree of life uh, that is in the paradise of God. Now, when you trace this on, okay, you go back to Genesis 2, verse 9, uh, the tree of life in the garden, um, and those who ate it, you know, had eternal life. They never had, they never died. But then you trace that on to Revelation 22, 2, and then that leads you to Ezekiel 47, and you see that, it, that the tree of life is going to bear a lot of seeds, and the seeds are going to go, and, and it's going to be planted all throughout all the nations. And so this tree of life is something that is, is going to bring like Garden of Eden conditions to the entire earth and to all the nations. And so eating the tree of life in this context 
you suddenly realize it means we are going to participate in this process where Jesus is going to bring uh, paradise conditions to the entire earth. And, uh, and of course, that's going to mean that the last enemy to be overcome will be death, uh, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Then uh, chapter 2, verse 11, that we will not be hurt by the second death. And trace that on to Revelation 21, verse 8, and you realize he's talking about the lake of fire. There, there is an end of time, as it were, um, where uh, the, the parable of Jesus, the angels, the, the uh, harvesters at the end of the age, uh, are going to separate wheat from chaff, and the chaff is going to be burned in unquenchable fire, whereas the wheat is going to be stored in the barns. And that's what this is. This is, this is God separating. And uh, maybe I don't need to say any more than that. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17, uh, that he gives hidden manna uh, to the overcomer. Hidden manna. Uh, refers back to um, ex, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 16, where he's he's teaching the people to go out early in the morning and collect manna for the day. But that's physical food that they're going to eat. This is hidden manna, which is spiritual food. This is us allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us the thoughts of God and let the thoughts of God uh, in uh, tremendously nurture our spirits, and and it does lead oftentimes to um, better health. In other words, the inner nature leading to a transformation of all of our lives, including our physical life. Our good, we we are likely to find better health. Our relationships will go better. Our marriages. It will lead to all kinds of positive blessings. Okay, when we uh, get this hidden manna into our lives. Then chapter 2, verse 17, he gives a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the person who receives it. This is our identity. We get a new identity. You know, we, we grow up with identities that come from the world, from our culture, from our race. We get a sexual identity, maybe. We get identities uh, from people. This is not that. This is the identity God gives us. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. So it includes a calling, but it's more than a calling. It's, it, he tells us who we are. We, we gain a sense of contentment in being who he made us to be. And, we, and it's, it's white, that means it's pure. It's, it's not tainted with a lot of people-pleasing. Um, it, it sets us free just to be ourselves. We gain contentment about ourselves. Um, in my experience, this white stone with a new name is, is something he gives as we go along. It increases this, this sense of identity. It increases as we learn to be overcomers. It's not a necessarily a sudden thing. Chapter 2, verse 26, he gives us an iron scepter. This is Jesus' authority over the nations. 
Uh, you can trace that back to, to Psalm 2 or, and also to Revelation 19.15 where you see Jesus bears this authority and this is what finally brings the victory over all the nations. But in chapter 2, we see that he gives that authority to us. Um, and, and I believe it's the authority of prayer. In other words, Jesus is being the priest king here. And, and his authority is the authority of prayer. Um, and so to gain that authority, we have to learn how to pray as he wants us to pray. Um, there's, there's two different kinds of prayer, what I call shamanistic prayer and, and then kingdom prayer. Shamanistic prayer is where you try to bend the spirit world to give you something that you want, maybe healing, maybe more money, maybe a better job, maybe something. It's just something you want for you and your loved ones. But that is not kingdom prayer. Kingdom prayer is centered on the will of God and where we seek no longer ourselves and our own self-interest, but we seek him and what is his best interest. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. But the seek first, that's what we're talking about here. So we're talking about prayer that is kingdom-based. That's why it's so important that we rediscover the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, because I, when I go to churches, I, I hear prayer that's virtually shamanistic. It's all self-centered. It's all based on me, 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 me. And um, that is not at all uh, the kind of prayer that he honors by giving the iron scepter uh, to people who pray that way. So... Uh, more to say about that in our prayer series. Chapter 2, verse 28, he gives us the morning star. Um, Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 1.19, and he talks about the prophecies of the Old Covenant um, that become a morning star. In other words, it, the prophecies talk about the coming kingdom, a worldwide kingdom that the Messiah will bring. But the, he's the son of righteousness, okay? He's coming with righteousness in his wings. But before he comes, the morning star rises. And that's the, the hope, that, that's the ability to see uh, with conviction and with hope and with a sense of joy that this is dawning soon. And, and so we're, we're able to discern the times. We're able to see these things because the morning star is dawning on us. And that's what, what he gives to overcomers, the ability to see that way. Um, this is not doom and gloom stuff, folks. This is, this is good stuff. This is hope, uh, the hope, uh, that blessed hope, as Paul calls it. Okay, then uh, we will be dressed in white. And uh, that uh, the white linen um, is, re is, is also referred to in Revelation 19, verse 8. It refers to the, to the deeds of the saints. Okay, so here we are in this lifestyle. We're letting him speak to us in our quiet time. Uh, the Holy Spirit is writing his laws on our hearts. Okay, and so this is not just the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is the actual righteous deeds of the saints. Deeds. 
This is speaking and living in a way that actually does please God. Okay, and so that's walking in white, and it's, it's a reward for being an overcoming one. It's a, a reward for entering into this process. And then he acknowledges us before the Father. We read that in, um, uh, again, in chapter 3, verse 5. It's like we get a, a sense of well done, good and faithful servant. Um, the Father honors us uh, when, we, when we move into overcoming. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a sense of being honored and appreciated by God. Okay, uh, no uh, self-condemnation here at all. Uh, it's a sense of the, the uh, just the, the reward of the Holy Spirit beckoning to us and saying, you've done well. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12, he makes us pillars in the temple of our God. This talks about walking in his presence. Okay, we are the temple uh, that's replaced the temple in Jerusalem. We're able to walk in his presence as though we were a pillar in the temple and always there in the presence of God. Um, chapter 3, verse 12, he writes... On us, the name of God and of the, of the city of our God, the new Jerusalem. And um, that it's, it's like you get an address written on you, and he, he, he shows you where you're headed. And that's pretty cool. And then finally, chapter 3, verse 21, uh, he gives us the right to sit with Jesus on his throne, just as Jesus overcame and then he was permitted to sit on the throne. He's promising the same thing to overcomers, but only to overcomers. So there's that sense of walking in authority, that sense of walking in victory, but it, it, it's not cheap. It's not just something that comes to, to everybody. It, it requires a lifestyle of the overcoming one. And we look to Jesus and we see Jesus as our model for this. So let me just conclude here by saying all of these are promises. The book of Revelation is full of promises. There, there are things that, that God gives us to lift our hearts and encourage us. And so we want to read the rest of the book of Revelation with an eye for the promises.